Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Stock Talk. My name is Amin Reyna and I'm an investment coach here at Sage Investors and this is episode 66. And also interestingly enough, this is episode is totally exclusively in podcast. There is no video so you don't get to see me uh, periscoping or just on my website or on YouTube or anything. It's strictly voice. So just trying out something a little bit different uh, this week. Let's see how it goes. So for those of you who regularly follow my episode, uh, past episodes of Stock Talk or follow my blog on Sage Investors, I posted a couple of weeks ago my latest update on the robo uh, portfolio that I created uh, a couple of years ago as we crossed the two-year anniversary. And basically what I did, uh, just to give you some background, about two years ago, I set up an account. I put, took about $5,000 of my own money and I opened up an account with one of the you know predominant uh big name robo-advisors up here in Canada. Basically with the premise to try to understand and see if these kind of, if this type of business model, this type of investment model is, can create money for investors, can allow investors to make money. And also to blog about the experience, uh, the type of experience in terms of the type of service you get, the, the whole workflow of how you go about investing with a robo-advisor to see, to see is it any better or any worse or is it the same as you would get talking to a human being and investing money in a traditional traditional way. So we crossed the two-year anniversary and I up to put my blog. And it's interesting, I always get interesting responses after every time I post one of these updates. Uh, sometimes I'll get people from the actual robo-advisor companies who will contact me and want to kind of set me straight on some stuff and talk about what they're doing. And then I'll get comments from obviously anybody else, everybody else. This time was interesting because I... Um, turned out that uh, this, yeah, my, my post um, kind of raised the curiosity of some of the financial bloggers out there. And one blogger in particular, which I'm not going to name, uh, I'm not going to give any more advertising to them, they basically posted uh, a post earlier this week about me, about what I, what I was doing. And uh, they call the article, and they call their post, Asking the Wrong Questions About Investing. And it starts off nice enough talking about, you know, the best uh, the things we, can, we need to do when we're, we're making investment decisions and building our portfolio is, you know, setting up a diversified portfolio, make sure we're contributing, make sure we're, we're engaging in the investing process, rebalancing um, when things get a little off course, um, avoid the trading aspect, you're investing for the long term, and keep your costs low. Like these are basic tenets of, you know, solid investing principles. Uh, but then it got a little, it all got a little interesting, and I'm going to read you basically what they what they wrote, um, and it really involves the question that I ask is whether these robo advisors, uh, this robo advisor portfolio, can make money for people, and so apparently that uh, didn't cut it with this particular blogger, and quote unquote basically ended up saying, I found the question he wanted to answer, he wanted answer to be a bit strange. However, which was quote, do these things make money for investors? Now, when I'm talking about whether these things make money, I'm looking at performance because the one thing that motivated me to do this, to put my own, my own money into one of these services, is to, we just don't hear anything about performance about the, from these services. We hear everything about it's cheap, easy to set up, uh, the experience is great, um, seamless uh, workflow, seamless processing. Um, but we never hear anything about performance. Meanwhile, other types of investment vehicles like mutual funds, you know, ETFs, 
hedge funds, um, they're all held to disclose um, the performance of their portfolios. But robo-advisors seem to be getting a, a pass. So that's, that was the one issue that the blogger seemed to have an issue with. He goes on further on. He says, quote, Mr. Reyna was not happy in year one when his robo-portfolio lost 2.15%, but he perked up in year two when, portfolio, when the portfolio returned 13%. Now, if, if this blogger had, has read any of my other uh, posts that I've done about my portfolio, um, he would know that I'm not interested to really get a good sense of how these things are performing. Uh, you need to look at about five, six, five plus years of performance to really get a sense. So that's kind of what I'm doing. I'm, this, what I'm doing is essentially a, a long-term process here. So yeah, alert, uh, the portfolio lost 2% in the first year. Yeah, but I wasn't any depressed about it or any malaise about it. Um, and in year two, last year was a great year. It went up 13%. Um, so... I don't know. I don't. I don't recall ever being, you know, jumping down the street and uh, skipping down the street with full of joy and, and pith and vinegar, because my portfolio was up 30 percent. It's a good year. It was a pretty good year. If you're earning over, you know, the long-term rate of stocks is eight percent. So if you're earning over eight percent, it's a good year. It should feel pretty good about it. Um, but apparently, I guess you can't do that. That's according to this blogger. Not. I shouldn't be doing that. I should be just staying calm. Absolutely. Performance is, uh, investing is a long-term process. And you have to, at the end of the day, you have to look at the performance at after a longer period of time. So, so I'm kind of confused why, um, I don't know, somehow he got in his, in his head that I'm interested in year-to-year returns. Well, I'm looking at year-to-year returns because I, I want to see how they're doing. Um, but at the end of the day, it's about long-term performance. So we're only two years into this little journey I'm going on. Um, you know, ask me in three years, and I'm, I'm not ready to pronounce judgment whether these are a great way to invest or not. Um, the jury's still out, and I'm withholding my, my, my real final judgment on these things for it's probably going to be a few more years. So if he was willing to stay tuned and watch my subsequent and future blog posts on this, um, he's more than happy to. So he also goes on to say, quote, did my portfolio make money, unquote, is not an appropriate way to, invest, to evaluate your investing strategy. The only way to measure your portfolio returns is against a similar benchmark. And I go, you know what, fair enough. Um, and at the end of it, he ends off and he says, I think he's asking, quote, unquote, he's asking the wrong questions. So really, you know, what it comes down to is I didn't realize, it, it really is interesting that when you talk about performance, nobody really wants, it seems like performance is, a, is like a taboo or something. You just don't talk about performance because it's funny. I, I, I could understand that when you talk about the financial services industry, when you're talking to people on that level, um, but you talk about anybody, nobody wants to go there in terms of disclosing how investments are doing. It's, it seems to be really strange. Um, and he talks about, well, you need to be you know, forget about how much money you're making. You need to understand. You need to take your return and compare it to a benchmark. Well, yeah, that's if you're working on Bay Street and your you know bonuses are paid on your ability to perform or outperform the market. I'm just trying to make more money than when I started out with, and I think for most people that's pretty much what investing is. I don't think people really think care about what, how they're doing it against the benchmark. They just want to know if they're making more money. They just want to know if they're going in the right direction, and a lot of times the financial services industry doesn't do a really good job answering that kind of question. 
And uh, so, again, I found it's interesting that, uh, so basically it's just as he didn't like my question. He doesn't like where, like how I'm, what my point is and why I'm doing any of this stuff. So I took a look at it, I, I, I took it for what it is. And then, you know, basically what I did was I responded to it. And I actually posted a comment in, on his blog. And uh, what I want to do is actually read you what I wrote. And because I have no idea if it's actually on there now, they might have just taken it out or it might have been just too long. Sometimes I post things on other people's websites and they never get on there. I don't know, they just don't want to hear what I say. I don't use bad words. I try to be really polite and you know, but sometimes they just, people just don't want don't to post what I'm saying. But so the beauty of a podcast is I can now say it. So I'm going to actually read to you what I responded to, how I responded to, to this blog's um, article about what I'm doing. So here we go. Dear blogger, you are correct. I can indeed set up my portfolio to allocate my savings to specific asset classes. I can absolutely invest my savings in low-cost investment products like ETFs and index funds or DRIPS. I can definitely rebalance my portfolio to retain an optimal asset mix that is conducive to my risk profile and to generate returns to achieve my long-term financial goals. I can absolutely remain steadfastly detached from market gyrations. I can also undertake a variety of proactive initiatives that will form a well-intentioned building blocks of a cohesive investment strategy and ideology. I can do this. Anybody can do this. Robots can do this now. But at the end of the day, at the end of the week, year, decade, you pick the time period, if I don't have more money than when I started with, or if I'm not protecting my purchasing power, then I've got a problem because when I go to pay my kids tuition, the university isn't going to care what the asset mix is in the portfolio where the money came from. They're going to care if I have the money. When I go to pay my rent or my mortgage, the bank isn't going to care whether I use dividend income or interest income or withdrew my money from my TFSA. They care if I have the money. When I go to buy groceries, the cashier isn't going to care whether I paid 5 basis points or 30 basis points on my S&P 500 ETF. They care if I have the money to pay for my groceries. If I don't have the money or I have less money, I'm going to have problems achieving whatever goals I've set out for myself. As investors, we should always be asking this question. Whether we choose to go down a passive investing path or an actively managed investing path, because we are entrusting our savings into vehicles like stocks, bonds, ETFs, or any other investment vehicle to people, to stewards, with a premise that they're going to be making investment decisions to create more wealth, which as investors will hopefully allow us to participate in their wealth creation. Why should we stop asking this question as you suggested it is wrong? The question is, why is this investment making money? I don't ask this question with the intention of doing something immediately reactive or emotional in order to right the ship. I didn't cash out of my robo-portfolio because it was down 2% in one year. That just plays into loss aversion, which adds fuel to the fire. I ask this question because it provides a flag, a wake-up call, to further investigate, question, and to take action when deemed necessary. When companies lose money, are they not held accountable by their owners and investors alike? Asking this question to our stewards of capital is a critical question we need to always be asking in a capitalist society. There are many, many people who have just recently received their annual investment statements that will show they are either losing money, either by bad decision making, market circumstances, or an erosion of savings via fees or commissions. 
Do you not think it is appropriate for these people to ask why they are not making money? As a business owner who is investing in risking my own capital, should I not ask if my practice is making money? I want to grow my practice to be viable and self-sustaining, and I need more capital. I need more money to do that. I need to know if the decisions I'm making are enabling me to achieve my long-term goals. I need to ask this question. If I stop asking this question, then I am absolving the financial services industry who act for most people as stewards of capital, the fiduciary responsibility of working in my best interest. If I don't ask this question anymore, I'm telling institutions that I don't care. And if they know I don't care, why should they care as long as my money is in their institution? So I will continue to ask this question. It is the one question that motivates us, it energizes us, and makes us more engaged in the investing process. It doesn't favor passive investors or actively managed investors. It is the constant question we should be asking in business, in finance, and in our capitalist society. So I will continue to ask this question, and I will continue to hold institutions accountable when they demonstrate that they cannot make money, and vice versa. And I will continue to teach and mentor people who choose to work with me to ask the same questions. I know asking a question like this doesn't rank high in terms of sophistication. It's not going to win any Nobel Prizes. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe throwing terms like market-weighted returns and fee-based or fee-for-service cost structures that resonate on Bay Street or in the personal finance blogosphere may have traction, but it's not hitting it with the average folk who are just want to know if they're going in the right direction. Why do we invest? We invest not to prop up a robo-advisor's back office, nor do we invest necessarily out of civic pride or patriotic duty. At the very core, we invest to make money for ourselves, our kids, and the people we care most about so we can take a step closer to being more independent and free in, explore, in exploring all that life offers. Respectfully, Sage Investors. That's what I said. It's an important question, and if people are going to come out there and kind of say, you can't ask that question, that's a problem. And so, in a way, I felt like I was being, when I read what this blogger was writing, I was saying, you can't ask this question. It's irrelevant. And I'm going, it's never irrelevant. So that's what I wrote. I posted it on there. And actually, it's interesting, though. Um, he rebutted. Uh, he responded. Very briefly. And he said, basically he said, I think, he basically said, you're missing my point. You're saying, you're still arguing that I'm arguing, me, that the robo-advisor should be making money for me, when that's not its job. Its job is to passively track the market for a small fee. The market is where you make money, quote-unquote. Yes, kind of, again, if you're assuming that a robo-advisor is passively managing your funds. In my experience with my robo-advisor, there are, there are ETFs in my robo-portfolio that are not actively managed. They're passively managed. And they happen to be ETFs that happen to be run by somebody who happens to be on the board of directors of this robo-advisor. So I don't think necessarily in my circumstance, the robo-advisor or the robo robot or the algorithm or whoever is figuring out what stocks to uh, buy and sell or what ETFs to incorporate in my portfolio uh, are doing it very authentically. There's a little bit of human element. There's a little bit of politics that goes into how these portfolios are constructed. So the argument that they, if the job is to passively track the market for a small fee, that's what it should be doing. The reality is it's not doing. And if I'm not asking these questions, whether these things are making money, if I'm not doing what I'm doing, 
you probably wouldn't know that. And you would think every robo portfolio or every robo advisor out there is pretty much doing this, a passively managed portfolio. No, you have to do your research. You have to look under the hood of these things. But unfortunately, that's not how these things are being marketed. So it's, it's interesting. So that, that was, that's my rebuttal. <laughs> that's my rebuttal of the rebuttal. I'll give you another example. And I agree with what his principal says. You need to have you need to you know have a good asset allocation that's representative of your your comfort level with 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 risk, and you need to keep your costs low as best as you know as reasonably as possible. Um, all the things that this general uh, this uh, blogger is talking about, I, I don't disagree with any he's doing a lot, but unfortunately, a lot of it is in the execution. And I'll give you another example. I, I have people that have come to me. I had one person come to me. Um, he has his money being managed uh, at one of the banks, and they put him. They they put a whole developed a whole you know investment plan and did a whole asset allocation, incorporated like um, some ETFs, um, some index funds, some uh, that were low cost, and you know doing the right thing, doing the right things as this blogger has saying you should be doing. But then guess what happened? They did a reorg in the in the bank. They did people. They started shifting people around. So that advisor he was working with moved on, moved somewhere else. And so you got another advisor. And that advisor took a look at his portfolio and said, you know what, you could be more aggressive with your portfolio. So he started pushing and getting that cut that this gentleman into um, types of ETFs or types of investment products that were higher cost and not necessarily passively managed. He was basically being churned. And he was basically churned into getting into higher, more expensive products that may not that were not necessarily perf- performing well, and they didn't, and they started looking at his and the gentleman started looking at, at his statements and going, "Wait a minute, this is where I'm going backwards." And he went along with it. Why did he go along with it? He went along with it because he didn't he didn't know any better. You know, he was told, given you know, he was given a plan that he thought was going to be executed, and then they basically kind of decided to tweak the plan because maybe oh, I don't know, maybe the, the bank wasn't making enough money off of him. Who knows? Maybe the advisor looked, sensed an opportunity to get more commissions out of it. Who knows? The bottom line is the, the, the gentleman just didn't know any better and didn't have the education to really challenge it, to ask the questions. Ask that advisor, am I making money with my portfolio? He wasn't engaged in the process. The gentleman wasn't engaged in the process. He found about this after the fact, after he got his statements. And on top of it, to culminate all this, he just wasn't empowered. This gentleman was, wasn't empowered with the tools and the confidence to challenge, to ask these questions. Am I making money? And if I'm not, why am I not making money? What's going on? Why am I in these stocks? Why have you put me into these higher cost ETFs or index funds or mutual funds? Why are you putting me into these house products? So it's all... The intentions are all good to follow all the principles of investing, but you have to be still engaged in the process. You still have to have the education to have some of the literacy to understand what products you're getting into so you can ask the right questions. You need to have the education to ask those right questions, to challenge people, to challenge people who are managing your money. You have to do that, and then you have to be empowered. And this is the triple E. You know, I call this the triple E in my coaching practice, education, engagement, and empowerment. Because if you have these three core competencies, 
chances are you're going to make better investment decisions and you're going to be more successful. And you're going to make money. The chances are you're going to make more money. Whether you're going to beat an index, whether you're going to beat some outperform the market, I don't know. But you should have more money than when you started off with. I can't get any, we can't get any more simplistic than that. And I realize that for a lot of people in, in investing, in the investing business, that's, it's too simplistic. Sometimes simplicity can be just the most complex thing for people. So I just found it, the whole thing to be quite amusing, quite interesting. And I just wanted to share with you how I kind of approached this and how I responded to this. Um, it's an important thing. It's a question I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to have people like this suppress my ability to ask, ask these questions. I'm going to keep asking these questions. I'm not tied to the industry, so I can ask these questions. Maybe this gentleman, if you go on this uh, website, you see a lot of advertising of, for different financial products, a lot of associations, a lot of sponsored kind of stuff. Hmm, I wonder who's, if he's really saying it or is it the industry kind of because they're paying him to say stuff or working with him or have a relationship with him. Are they really saying this stuff? Who knows? Anyway, that's all I got for you today. If you have any questions about this, I'd love to hear about this because this stuff, you know, I love it. I love it when, I'm, I'm, one of the things I'm really happy about is a lot of times when I talk about this stuff, about performance and whether things are, perform, uh, you know, really generating returns that you expect them to return, are people making money, um, is the dialogue. And I'm, a lot of times before, whenever I ask this question, I would get a lot of cricket sounds. The, the financial industry would just like look at you and says, well, we don't, we don't, we've chosen not to look at this stuff. And then and now it's interesting when you look at some of the bloggers and some other people comment like this saying, why are you talking like this? Um, you know I'm hitting a nerve. I, you know you're hitting a nerve. And now you know people are starting to pay attention. And I think people are starting to pay attention. And people are starting to ask questions of not necessarily robo-advisors, but other different types of uh, investments. People are challenging them. And that's great. That's what we want. So, do you have any questions about this, about this post, uh, this uh, episode, or anything about this, about RoboAdvisors? Give me a shout. You can hit me through Twitter. My uh, handle is at Sage Investors. I'm on there all the time, babbling, commenting, observing, posting, uh, all things investing. Even my own investment decisions, I post them on there. Check them out. Also, hit me on email. You can hit my website www.sageinvestors.ca. Hit me with an email. Got a question? Got a question about my uh, coaching services, investment coaching? I know it's a very new concept for a lot of people. What's that all about? More than happy to explain it. Have any questions about my online courses on investing? I teach a comprehensive online course called Everyday Investing. It consists of eight modules. It teaches you the, the real essence of buying and selling individual stocks. I also teach a course on ETFs, how to, how to invest in ETFs. ETFs are a big deal now, as you say, like, you know, robo-advisors and stuff like that. The, the, we're seeing a big shift in terms of the platform in terms of how people invest. ETFs, are, ETFs have been around forever, but they've been, and they've been pretty vanilla, pretty easy to understand. But now the complexity level has gone up way up because the, the fund companies are losing a lot of business and they're trying to get their little hands on, on these type of products. So you've got to be aware of the pitfalls of them. And I teach you all that through the How to Invest in ETFs course. So check it out. Um, there's some sample uh, slides, sample uh, samples on the on the website. You can uh, try them out. Just give a listen and uh, register if you're up for it. That's all I got for you today, folks. Thank you very much for joining. 
for joining me. I hope you found this uh, interesting and enlightening. If you have any questions about any other investing topics, again, hit me through Twitter, hit me through my website, uh, through email, and I'd be more than happy to chat with you about this and any other, all things investing. So this has been another episode of Stock Talk. My name is Amon Reina of Sage Investors, and we'll catch you again another time. Take care.